We don't all get to follow our dreams. Weather Rose was Gavin's, but he gave her up and a whole lot more in a moment of epic rage. Now Weather is in trouble, and nothing will stop Gavin from getting to Weather and clearing her name. And Gavin doesn't care who goes down in the process. It's dangerous to get between a man and his dreams. This week, A Glint of Mischief presents Dark White, a noir thriller by Neil Christensen. Hello, I'm Judah Amy. Welcome to A Glint of Mischief, a weekly podcast where you get to preview some of the great indie books out there. Each episode is the reading of the first chapter of an independently published book, available to buy right now. But first, a word from our sponsors. This week's podcast is sponsored by the Association of Subliminal Advertising. Despite this ad being read as a result of the ASA's support, we would like to say that there is not even a glint of subliminal advertising in it. No mischief here, folks. Just an innocent ad to support the Association of Subliminal Advertising. Now I am off to go get a Kofi. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Support a glint of mischief on Kofi. Now, let's get to the reason we're all here. Yes? The rain fell in sheets, straight as pinstripes through the narrow canyons of glass and steel. It battered the pavement, making blisters on the cracked asphalt, turning it dark and heavy. Small puddles formed in the cracks and ragged, uneven surfaces reflecting the hazy streetlights and glowing windows of the high-rises. It was a cold rain, with October winds driving it down like spikes from the ever-blackening slate-gray sky. I burst out of the flimsy alley door of the warehouse and stumbled before tripping sideways into the stone wall of the next building. A pain like hot needles shot through my shoulder and down my arm, forcing my fingers into a tight, uncomfortable fist. I bent over, wheezing, and forced them open again one at a time, then pressed them against my ribs, taking short, sharp breaths. The rain ignored me and continued hammering against my now heavy felt fedora and charcoal wool overcoat. I looked up, bleary-eyed, squinting through the deluge, gauging the distance out of the alley, out to the main road, and then to my car. I wasn't sure I was in any condition to drive, but I knew I had to get away from that place and out of the rain. Holding the wall of the building, I hobbled down the rough, gravelly ground towards the clean, smooth concrete sidewalks and the lights of the traffic. Out in the weather, I couldn't differentiate between the wet of the rain and the wet of the blood, but the pain in my side told me that both were present. The wound wasn't too deep, not life-threatening, but it hurt, and more than just physically. It hurt my pride. Look, I hated my job, but I was usually pretty damn good at it. It had been years since I'd let something go that wrong, and it bothered me. 
It was done. I hadn't failed, but I'd effed up, and I had a concussion and a bone-deep gash in my ribs to prove it. I needed a break. Some time to get my head back in the game and stop feeling sorry for myself. Everyone hates their job, I thought. Why should I be any different? At the mouth of the alley, I leaned upright against the corner stone and surveyed the scene. Traffic was heavy. Headlights and taillights smeared together in wide bands of scarlet and violet white between fuzzy dots of red and green that punctuated the intersections. Foot traffic was light, almost non-existent in the downpour, which was good. It meant I could move slowly without the questioning stares of other pedestrians on the three-block exodus to my car. After about a block, the anchor of anxiety from the nearly botched job fell away and disappeared in the rain runoff, down the sidewalk in narrow streams and off the curb, joining the greasy gutter water at the edge of the road. All I had left was the weight of my bloodied ribs, waterlogged hat, jacket, and shoes. But that was enough. It took me 20 minutes to cross the next two blocks. I had to stop and rest from time to time, leaning against buildings, trying my best not to look drunk or deranged. The last thing I needed was a concerned law enforcement officer coming over to check on me. I wasn't worried about being arrested, not in this city, but I really don't need the hell she would put me through if I ended up featured in another official report. That would be worse than a night in jail. Damn it, Gavin. Why are you doing this? Why am I still doing this shit? I mumbled to myself. It wasn't getting easier anymore. I'd crossed that hill seven years ago. Now? Now it was starting to get harder again. Harder and more tiresome. Finally... Soaked to the bone and beginning to prune, I crept up on my car. It was parked near the corner on a side street in front of a fire hydrant. It was a restored 2005 Chrysler 300, black with custom deep brown leather seats. It had been a gift of sorts, uh, donated after I put the previous owner out of someone else's misery. It was right where I left it. And, as always, free of tickets. I opened the driver's door and dropped myself in the seat. Water ran off my face and hands and squeezed out of the dense wool of my overcoat, pooling in the seat and running down the leather into the black carpet of the floor. I wheezed and coughed and pulled my legs into the car, slamming the door behind them. The rain continued to pound on the roof and windshield, creating a rattle like a broken garbage disposal. It was ten minutes before I found the energy to put the keys in the ignition. Another three before I could turn them. Then, summoning all my effort, I dropped the transmission into gear, squealed the tires, and headed towards home.
It was the first sound that woke her. The explosive crash that pulled her out of the unconsciousness and slammed her into a reality like an egg hitting a tile floor. Her mind was blurry and she was unable to remember where she was. She tried to open her eyes, but they were sealed, sticky, and dry. She tried to turn her head, but her neck ached and cracked with the effort. Her whole body felt sore and worn. Her lips were dry and cracked. She licked them but her tongue was leather and it stung while the taste of copper filled her mouth. Where the hell was she? She strained to remember, but her focus drifted back to the pain in her body. She tried again to open her eyes, but still they would not comply. They felt swollen and damp, and they stung at the corners. She concentrated on her surroundings. She was on her back, but not on a bed. The surface was hard and sturdy. The floor... She felt a sickly anxiety crawl over her. The floor? What kind of floor? Not carpet. It was hard and smooth. Tile? The bathroom, maybe? Had she fallen in the bathroom? Knocked her head on the sink? She closed and opened her hand, letting her fingertips and nails feel the surface below her. It was hardwood, smooth with tiny seams between the narrow planks. It was warm. It was wet. A chill ran down her aching spine. Her body jerked painfully with an involuntary surge of panic. Her lungs gasped and the air felt like broken glass in her throat. Her heart began to race. Adrenaline filled her veins and almost instantly the fog in her mind lifted. Panic, she tried to stand up but her body still ached and she found her head too heavy to lift. With effort, she managed to pull her knees up toward her chest and laid her feet flat on the floor. She felt wetness between her toes. She was barefoot. She pushed hard with her legs and slid backwards half a foot before she lost traction on the slick floor. She tried again and again, slowly creeping backwards until her head slammed sharply on the wall behind her. She winced at the pain from the impact, but kept pushing pressing the palms of her hands on the floor for assistance. Gradually, she managed to upright herself into a sitting position. She paused for a moment and listened to herself breathing. She wiped her eyes with the side of her hand. They stung awfully, but she pressed hard to clear away the dried blood and forced her eyes open. Her blood ran cold, and her breathing disappeared again. The room was vast. It looked like it took up the entire floor of the building. It was, at the moment, dimly lit by nothing but city light streaming in through the floor-to-ceiling windows that made up the exterior. The space in front of her was open, with no walls separating the living space from the bedroom space or the kitchen or dining room that she was in right now. The floor was mahogany, covered in spots by expensive-looking oriental rugs. There was a large sofa that looked like it was upholstered in Italian tapestry next to a large, high-backed leather chair. In the far corner was a huge, king-size, four-poster bed, with the sheets and blanket half on the floor next to. She felt the room start to spin. Next to the sheet and the blankets and pillow on the floor were her clothes, she looked down at herself and found that she was naked except for her underwear. 
She was covered in crimson and sitting in a smear of blood that she had apparently made while pushing herself back to the wall. In front of her was a large pool of scarlet and the body of a naked man with a cell phone in one hand and a small pistol in the other, lying face down in the blood. In front of him, and right next to where her smear print began, lay a heavy-looking black handgun. Then, the sound again. Crack! The door jammed, splintering like dynamite. The girl lost her balance and fell back to the floor, catching the back of her head on the baseboard as she went down. Pain shot like daggers through her scalp and into her eyes. There was commotion all around her now, and blinding bright lights. She jerked her head, which only served to reopen the wounds over her nose and eye. Blood streamed down her face again, and she squinted through the warm liquid stinging her eyes. There was a dozen figures in black surrounding and moving around her. Then there were hands on her, touching her body, her neck. She squirmed to free herself, but it was useless. She's alive, she heard. He's not, came from someone else. Look at this, from right next to her. She felt her arm being pulled and her fingers pried open. The pattern matches the grip, from further away. There was a flash and the distinct sound of a camera shutter. She tried to scream, but she couldn't make a sound. Now the hands were pushing her, rolling her, flipping her onto her chest. They pulled her arms behind her. There were bright flashes and more sounds of camera shutters. Then the feeling of cold metal on her wrists, and she couldn't move. Miss? Miss? She heard the voices but couldn't speak an answer. Lady, what's your name? She tried to struggle free of the handcuffs, but something heavy and solid came down on her back and held her still. Lady, your name? Found a purse. Another voice said, ID says her name is Rose, Weather Rose. Miss Rose, you are under arrest for the murder of Special Counsel Brandon Grayson. You have the right to remain. And again, everything went black. State's attorney, Maureen Adelaide, was stalling. She was grateful that her job gave her a legitimate excuse for long hours and late nights. There was always a set of briefs that had to be filed last minute, a witness that needed to be interviewed, or a judge that needed a conference after court ended. When one of those things didn't exist, she could always say they did. There was no way to prove otherwise least of all by her family. She wasn't proud of her behavior. There was a shame in avoiding your family, staying away because you couldn't look your daughter in the eyes or tell your husband the truth. Her life weighed on her. No amount of work, no rate of conviction, no balance of blind justice's scales could make her forget what she had failed to do and what she had done to atone for that failure.
Justice wasn't blind. Justice had 20-20 vision, and she stared down at Maureen day after day, holding that damned sword and threatening her with the scales that would judge her in the hereafter. She knew she was damned, and every day that she pushed the weak little pawns around the chessboard of the city, she felt the albatross of her fate hang heavier and heavier around her neck. It wasn't always like this. She was a different person before. A different lawyer, a different mother, a different wife. She was kind and loving and determined and fearless. But that was before this job. And before... Well, before it happened. It was before Gavin. Before she realized that only the foolish are fearless. And the one thing everyone should fear is what is inside themselves. She was thinking about all of this. Thinking about where it all went wrong and how any of it could ever be fixed when her door opened and her assistant walked into her office. It startled her and she turned from the wide window behind her desk. Her assistant was a mousy little thing. Rail thin and auburn with bare shoulders and a stupid effing crystal hanging in a wire basket around her neck. She annoyed Maureen and would have been fired a dozen times over if she wasn't so effing good at her job. Oh, Miss Adelaide, Lauren said, seeing her turn behind her desk. I'm so sorry. I thought you had stepped out. Well, usually good at her job anyway. I was just coming to drop a message on your desk. Detective Megan Hindy called and wanted you to get back to her as soon as possible. She said there's been an incident involving a... She glanced at the handwritten note she was holding. Weather Rose. She sounded pretty alarmed. Apparently, she looked down at the handwriting again. Brandon Grayson has been shot. I think he's the... Yes, Lauren... Maureen snipped, feeling all the blood rush out of her face. I know who Brandon Grayson is. You're sure she said Rose? Weather Rose? Lauren nodded a firm affirmative. Oh, yes, ma'am. Quite sure. That's a very unusual name, and I wouldn't mix it up. Maureen was breathing heavy now and felt a light layer of sweat form between her skin and her clothes. Okay, Lauren. She said dismissively, I've got it. You're dismissed. Go home and get some rest. All right, Miss Adelaide. I've just got to finish up. It can wait, Lauren. Go home. You're done here for tonight. Lauren looked at her skeptically, and then with a shrug of her bare shoulders, turned and walked out of the office. Maureen heard her close her laptop and put on her coat. A moment later, the sound of the elevator opening and closing again left her finally and completely alone. She picked up the phone on her desk and dialed. Detective Megan Hindy screamed down Lakeshore Drive at 80 miles per hour, her lights and siren filling the darkness of the October night and making the rest of the traffic part in front of her like the Red Sea. She was in a panic, furious with intention and worried that she might be already too late. 
Her phone rang with the ominous melody of the Star Wars Imperial March. It was a special ring that she used as a signature tone for her boss. Not the lieutenant at the precinct, her other boss. She glanced at the screen of the phone in its cradle on the dashboard and read the caller ID. S.A. Maureen Adelaide. A sense of dread churned in her stomach as she punched the large green button that accepted the call. Meg, you've got to be effing kidding me, right? The voice on the other end of the line bellowed. Detective Hindi winced and looked at the phone as if it was an actual person. Afraid not, she said. Vic is Brandon Grayson. He's the special pros. I know who the F Grayson is, the woman on the phone said. And the perp? Yeah, looks like it's her, the detective followed. Are we sure? Detective Hindi took a long breath and let it out a sigh. Yeah, we're sure. It's weather. There was a long silence then. Detective Hindi stared at the phone waiting for the tirade she had been expecting since she arrived at the crime scene. It didn't come. Eventually, she broke the quiet. Miss Adelaide? Does he know yet? It took the detective a minute to catch up. I'm sorry? Gavin. The voice was sharp. Effing Gavin Guile. Does he know about it yet? I don't know, ma'am. I don't think so. I don't know how he could. But you're on your way there now? Detective Hindi hit the lever next to the steering wheel, activating the left turn signal and swung the wheel flipping the old Crown Vic off of LSD and onto the side streets of south side of Chicago. Yes, ma'am. I'm on my way to the club right now. Okay. Silence. Okay, I'm heading down to the precinct station now. You just make sure he understands that this is off-limits. It's going to be enough dealing with the feds. I don't need to play a triage nurse to his bullshit, too. The detective bit her lower lip. Ma'am, all due respect, that might not be the best idea. Excuse me? Came the belligerent voice on the other end of the call. I'm just saying, having the Cook County State Attorney show up for routine interrogation could draw extra attention. Someone might start to wonder why this girl is so important. There was a pause, and Detective Hindi wondered if her boss was actually considering her advice. The victim is a special prosecutor for the Justice Department of the United States. The case and the questioning is anything but routine. How about you stick to the responsibilities I assign to you, and you let me make the decisions about where my time is best spent? Hindi nodded to herself in the car. Understood, ma'am, she said. Good. Text me when you're done with your associate. Will do, ma'am, she said. Dark White by Neil Christensen is available to buy on Amazon now. There is a link in the show notes. Neil Christensen is an author of pulpy noir-style thrillers set in the shadows of the world we live in. His heroes are flawed and his villains have heart. He's a 42-year-old father of eight living in the suburbs of Chicago. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. 
If you did indeed enjoy it, there are many ways for you to show your appreciation. For one, you can help us spread the word about the podcast on social media. You can find posts about the podcast at Glint of Mischief on Twitter. If you want to keep up to date on news for the podcast, there's a mailing list over on my website. You guessed it, glintofmischief.com. The mailing list is also how you can find out when our submission windows are open, if you are interested in getting your book on the podcast. Have you, like me, been having a strange and irresistible urge to head over to ko-fi.com and buy me a coffee? Weird. Just one of those unexplained phenomenon, I guess. Supported one of mischief on coffee. Anyway, don't fight it. Just swing on over there and have a great day. Also, before I leave, I wanted to let you know we are having a short story competition. Are you a writer in the process of getting your book published? Perhaps you're going the traditional route or your book doesn't really fit the style we have going here. We don't want you to get left out in the cold. Thus, a short story competition. Head over to glintofmischief.com for more information. And until next time, see you around.